Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio, and we come to you on Monday, December 12th. It's a bit of a somber occasion, unfortunately. Not a bit of a somber occasion, it is a somber occasion. Um, Our colleague, uh, Grant Wall, a legend in American soccer journalism, a guy who paved the way for folks like Paul and myself and many others to you know, carve out the careers that we've had, um, a wonderful storyteller, uh, and most importantly, just a, a very, a very kind, um, thoughtful, friendly person, um, passed away tragically on Friday night. He collapsed at the France, excuse me, not the France, the France game, the Argentina Netherlands game. Um, and you know, wasn't able to be revived. Um, and, and, so Paul and I have both been dealing with that in our own ways. By no means are we the main characters of this story. Our thoughts are with Grant's loved ones and, and everybody that was close to him. Paul, I think, you know, for me, I wouldn't say that I was close to Grant, but we were friendly and we had known each other for a very long time. And he's someone that helped me in ways big and small in my journey through this, um, industry. And, uh, the immediacy and the sudden nature of this and the totally shocking and unexpected nature of this I think has hit everybody kind of hard that knew him. And, uh, yeah, man, I don't really know what to say, but we both wanted to take some time to just kind of talk about him and, and honor him, um, as we lead off this show. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, in the hours and days since um, we learned of his death, it's been eye-opening, I think, to see the number of people he impacted. And I think for me, it put into perspective some things that I think I took for granted with Grant. You know, like the ways that he would just so casually elevate your work um like i was looking back like he tweeted out the column i did about my dad and i know that that reached people that it wouldn't have reached otherwise and you know he came up to me in the press box afterwards or in the in the press conference room at the training center for the u.s and we had a kind word or two about it and you know that that it was like such a normal thing for grant (laughs) and it's not a normal thing for everyone in the business yeah to do stuff like that And, you know, I just feel grateful that I had the time with him that I did. I've been thinking about some of the interactions that we've had um, over the course of qualifying. You know, I've known Grant since 2007 when I broke into the business. And, you know, he always was kind to me and supportive of of my work um, and of me as a person. And, you know, we had a chance to get to know each other a little bit better um, as the years went on. He had me on his podcast and we had some time together um, in Spain in September. That that kind of sticks with me. And I, I was really happy. Actually, I remembered that at the press conference ahead of um, the England game, it must have been, he published a story on Eunice Musa that was, I thought, a really, really good feature. Um, he, he was able to get in touch with Eunice's family and he had done it in kind of typical Grant fashion. You know, when I stopped to talk to him about it, he was like, yeah, I just went. I just showed up. And like got the interview and then he was like, you know, at the end of it, I gave Eunice my contact information and and told him I I was hoping 
that I could do this X, Y, and Z, and you never know how, what's going to happen. And then it just happened for him. And and that was like, I think that also spoke to Grant's approach as a reporter sometimes was just to like, be aggressive, go for it and, and hope that you get the payoff. And he did with that story. And I was, I'm just really glad that like, I said something to him about it and that I was able to have that talk with him. But you know, I'm rambling here partly just because it's hard to fathom that he's gone. And, you know, like I said, I feel like I feel disappointed in that, that like you, you realize that sometimes like you, you take for granted these relationships that you have with people that you work with every day, the good and the bad, everything gets, you know, everything gets magnified in the moment. And you, you, you know, it's like with all of you, anyone who works in an office or has colleagues, you know what, what I'm talking about. And then to lose somebody so suddenly, you know, you think about all the things you you didn't say or the, the moments you didn't share or the, the things you could have said. And, and, and that's how I feel right now. Just super, super, super sad for Celine, his wife, for his family, um, and for the soccer world that lost an important voice that, you know, was always out there reporting and, and, and trying to, to tell really, really good stories. Yeah. Um, our, our editor, Alex Abnos worked with Grant for, for years at Sports Illustrated and he wrote a really good piece. I thought, um, just kind of a tribute to him on the athletic. I would encourage you guys to go check that out, but I'm going to borrow a line from that article. Um, Alex was sharing an anecdote that he had with Grant in Brazil at the world cup there. And he said, this sounds more like a story about me and less like a story about Grant, but that's how Grant's stories tend to go. And I thought that was really just kind of a, a beautiful and accurate way to sum it all up. Um, you know, being on Twitter, I haven't really been on Twitter much over the weekend because that's not how I wanted to process this. But um, the, the bits and pieces that I did see were along those lines. Everybody had a story. I had a few. I shared I shared a couple. You know, when I was a senior in college, Paul, I interned at SportsIllustrated.com. And one of the first things I did, I had been covering the Chicago Fire for a couple of years at that point. And one of the first things I did when I got like a company account was email Grant out of the blue. Like I had never met him before, but I, I had been in the space and I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to break into this field. I would love to just chat with you and pick your brain. Like I, obviously I admired his work and still do. And I didn't really expect anything. He wasn't even living in New York City at the time. I think he, him and his wife were in Baltimore, I want to say. Um, and like within a week, he was in my cubicle, like hanging out for a half hour, like just asking me what I wanted to do and letting me ask him whatever I wanted. And, you know, things like that, they're small for the person that's on on, on the side of giving the advice or, or answering the questions or, or asking questions even. But for the person trying to come up in that business to have somebody like Grant who, who was, you know, like the, the, the main guy, like who had written the New York Times bestsellers, who had done it all, to have someone like that show an interest in you, it, it sort of just gave me a little bit of a belief and a little bit of confidence that, hey, maybe I can do this. And at that time in particular for me, like that was huge because I was getting out of it. Like I was graduating college. I had accepted a job completely out of the industry. I was going to go be a consultant, <laughs> but I really wanted to stay in soccer. And uh, that conversation kind of reminded me of that. 
I ended up getting a, a job with Real Salt Lake. And a couple of years later, it must have been a, a qualifier, I would imagine. There was the U.S. played Honduras out there in 2013. He was out there and he was interviewing a few people for, for a story. And, you know, we chatted after one of the interviews and he, and he asked me, like, hey, have you ever thought about getting back into writing? And I hadn't, like, at all. I was loving the job that I was in. And there were aspects of journalism, the inherent un instability in it, um, the fact that there, aren't, there weren't really any jobs then. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, partly that it's sort of a lone wolf kind of profession. And I like being in team settings. I was like, no, nah, not really, man. He's like, really? He's like, you should keep open to it. Like, I think you have a knack for it. And a couple of years later, I, I went back down that path and that's led to where I am today. And I've always remembered that conversation and it was maybe a throwaway line. Like if you ask Grant, I'm guessing he probably wouldn't have remembered that. Um, but I remembered it for a long time because it was something from somebody of such standing in our field. And it was a moment of kindness and sincerity that gave me belief and gave me a little bit of inspiration and gave me a lot of confidence to move forward in the way that I did. And again, you know, to borrow that line from Alex, this sounds more like a story about me and less like a story about Grant, but that's how he was. He, he made things kind of about other people. He loved getting to know other people's stories. He consistently amplified the work and the stories of people trying to make their way up in this field and in other fields too, um, in a way that he didn't have to. He shared his platform in a way that he didn't have to. Um, and he was always generous with his time and just generous period. And uh, Paul, as I've reflected and, and kind of read and thought about this stuff and about his passing over the last few days, like that is what's standing out to me is that not many people in the world period have the platform that Grant built for himself. He had a massive platform, but everybody has the ability to do things like that and make a little bit little difference in someone's day that could make a, a big difference in someone's life. And so that's, what I'm going to try and carry forward from this. And uh, yeah, just rest in peace, Grant. It's awful, man. It's awful. Thanks for sharing that, Sam. That story about you at RSL stuck with me when I saw you share it. Because it, it's exactly that. It's somebody uplifting somebody else just because you're nice because you recognize something in somebody and you you he shared it because that's who he was there was no expectation of what could come out of it and it impacted you and I, I agree with you Sam like for me in the last few days and all of my reflecting about what this means I think Grant's legacy for me personally is to try to live my life more the way he did in terms of trying to just be nice to people and to give them, you know, to, to give, to give the way Grant gave to all of us. And it's just surreal to be talking about this and it's super sad and yeah, we're going to miss you, Grant. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. There's uh, no real way to not awkwardly transition from that last segment into anything else, really. Um, but particularly this next story, which Paul and I um, reported and published on Sunday night about Gio Reyna. Um, uh, it's kind of the big story at the moment. I, I think, you know, not to be glib, but I think Grant would have been all over this one, I'm sure. Um Obviously, there was a lot of controversy about Gio Reyna during the World Cup and the lack of his role and some of Eric Winalda's um, claims, uh, Greg Berhalter's response to those claims, and Gio Reyna just not really playing much. He played 52 minutes, 7 in the group stage, and then 45 against the Netherlands in the knockout round. Um, not the World Cup that he wanted, for sure. And, and Paul, there was... As suspected, probably, there was more than meets the eye that was going on. So you just want to walk people through what we reported? Yeah. So, um, and just to be clear, you know, this this is a story that took some time to report, that we took some time to report. This is um, obviously people were asking questions, like you mentioned, when Gio's role was, was less than what people would have imagined going into the tournament. And you start hearing things here and there. But, you know, for us, it was important to try to get as as many voices as we could to, to confirm what was going on. And we spoke to several people, several sources, um, to get multiple perspectives and to get an idea. And what we, what we learned was that Gio Reyna, um, was not putting an effort in training sessions, uh, in the lead up to the Wales game, specifically, um, one incident that came up time and time again was the scrimmage against Al Garafa. Um, that, that Reyna was walking around the field, was very clearly and visibly not trying in the game. And that obviously that caused some issues within the team um, from what had otherwise started off as an intense scrimmage uh, with, with the players who had started, um, that they were all taking it seriously, obviously, in the lead up to a World Cup starting just a few days later. And that that kind of started the issues um, that there was such a lack of effort that it was unclear to people whether Reyna was protecting himself against injury or whether it was just out of frustration. I, I don't think our sources had any clarity still what the issue was, whether it was one or the other. They, ha you know, everyone we talked to had suspicions one way or another, but we we can't speak with one hundred percent certainty as to kind of the. May, it may have been a little sure. bit of both, um, but I do want to make that clear that you know it's not like. We can say for 100% certainty he didn't have a hamstring issue. We can't say for 100% certainty that it was just, you know, anger at not starting. I think I think it was probably a little bit of both. Um, but that's just, you know, based on all these different conversations with all these different people. That obviously that lack of effort in training sessions, you know, rankled the team. 
teammates, staff. It led to conversations between the coaching staff and Gio Reyna. He didn't play in the Wales game, as we know. Um, you know, as Burhalter said after the game, it was a kind of a wide open game at that point. He felt like Jordan Morris could give some speed and power in those moments. And he said that they had done a last minute check on Reyna. I followed up to ask what the last minute check was about. He said that there had been some tightness. They had seen some tightness in that scrimmage against Algarafa. I think, you know, those, those quotes maybe, um, feel a little bit different now, kind of knowing what, you know, maybe there was some protecting going on there. I don't know. Again, as we just said, we were not 100% sure. And, and, but that after that Wales game, when, when Reyna threw his shin guards, when he didn't go in the game, that in the training sessions after the game, the lack of effort continued. And uh, according to our sources, it led to a moment um, between the coaching staff and Reyna. And, and this moment was spelled out by, it seems, by Greg Berhalter. I want to say it seems because he doesn't name the player. And, you know, he, he basically lays out that the effort or that the issues with this player were the issues with this player were bad enough that there was conversations about sending the player home. Um, I'll, I'll quote him here directly so that we can kind of and again, this is from Berhalter speaking at a conference that was supposed to be off the record, um, but was eventually published by Charter. And he said, in this last World Cup, we had a player that was clearly not meeting expectations on and off the field, one of 26 players, so it stood out. As a staff, we sat together for hours deliberating what we were going to do with this player. We were ready to book a plane ticket home. That's how extreme it was. And what it came down to was we're going to have one more conversation with him, and part of the conversation was how we're going to behave from here out. There aren't going to be any more infractions. But the other thing we said to him was you're going to have to apologize to the group but it's going to have to say why you're apologizing. It's going to have to go deeper than just guys. I'm sorry. And I prepped the leadership group with this. I said, okay, this guy is going to apologize to you as a group to the whole team. And what was fantastic in this whole thing is that after he apologized, they stood up one by one and said, listen, it hasn't been good enough. You haven't been meeting our expectations of a teammate and we want to see change. They really took ownership of that process. And from that day on, there were no issues with this player. And th those quotes from Burhalter matched the end of our reporting, which said that Reina did stand up before a video session and apologize to his teammates that he did understand he was part of the group, that players on the team spoke up to hold him accountable, and that the players and the sources that we spoke to felt like Reyna turned a corner after that incident in training, uh, that in regards to his effort in training, turned a corner, and, and within the team that they felt like, you know, they were able to squash the issue then and there. So, you know, I think that our reporting, again, if we were to lay out just kind of what we reported, there was a lack of effort in training that led to issues within the team, um, there were conversations between Reyna and his teammates, between Reyna and the coaching staff, that eventually Reyna stood up and apologized to the team and that the players felt Reyna turned a corner at that point in his effort and they moved forward. You take that and and you see what, what Berhalter said and I think it, it paints a picture somewhat of kind of what was going on within the team, that there were these issues that existed. Um, you know, I think probably we can we can see that there were some issues between Reyna and Burhalter in, involved in this as well, and overall that that, as we wrote, at least had a partial impact on what Reyna's role was in in the Wales game specifically. I mean, after that he did play seven minutes against England, didn't play against yeah. Iran, and then played in the second half against the Netherlands. Sam, I was yeah. rambling, I was talking a lot. I need to take a breath. What do you think of this issue, or, or what's your takeaway now after well, after reporting it? 
I mean, obviously, it's disappointing. Like, I think anytime you're in a team setting, you don't want any issue like this to come around. It came around. It seems like they handled it okay, I guess. I mean, it's hard to really know without being in the group um, how exactly it was handled. You know, I think from, from what we were told, Paul, that, you know, they moved on after the apology. For the most part, I think that's that's about the best you can hope for. I think... Uh, some quotes that have been making the rounds a little bit from after the Netherlands game sort of stand out a little bit more now in light of this news than they did maybe at the moment. Particularly, there was a quote from DeAndre Yedlin asked about, um, I think, the team and, and the run. And he said, we've built a foundation and a culture that, you know, if guys don't fit into that culture, then you probably won't be with the group. Um, and, and it's just that line, it didn't really seem like much in the moment I was there <laughs> listening to DeAndre speak. Um, but afterwards it started like, huh, I wonder if there was something else he was referring to in that line. Um, so yeah, I think it's disappointing. You don't want anything to go this way in the world cup. There's obviously the family dynamic at play, which we didn't really touch on or report on. Um, but you know, Claudio Reyna and Greg Berhalter have been friends since they were kids since before high school, when they were teammates playing under Claudio Reyna's father, Gio Reyna's grandfather, <laughs> um, played in high school together, played at World Cups together for the U.S. Uh, how does this affect their relationship? I'm sure it will in some way, shape, or form, probably pretty dramatically. Uh, and yeah, the whole thing to me, Paul, is just kind of sad. Like, it's just a disappointment. Um, also, I think it's worth pointing out, I am stunned that Greg Berhalter said those things at that conference like i know it was supposed to be off the record according to u.s soccer but and i would say they, they added an editor's note to the charter piece saying that it was supposed to be off the record but they were erroneously given the green light to publish those quotes so it's not just u.s soccer saying that but but charter now yes thank you thank you um but even still like like even in an event that's off the record i'm stunned that he went in front of a room of people that he did not know and said those things out loud even without naming the player like it wasn't that hard to, to look at those quotes and know who he was talking about if you were paying attention during the world cup so uh yeah that, a lot of thoughts that's probably where it's at and then we'll see how Gio Riona responds man like that's the other part like he's 20 he can absolutely grow and mature and and like you said paul we don't know the exact reasons whether it was protecting from injury or frustration or a combination of both or something else entirely um but you know i think he's this is a difficult thing for him this is going to be a difficult thing for him to deal with especially now that it's public and uh we'll see how he responds moving forward in his career yeah and i, I do want to say like i you know i was speaking with in, in the course of speaking with people in the reporting of this story you know, there was one thing that stood out to me, which is just that, you know, I think that this this was made complicated in some ways, more complicated in some ways by that that relationship that you talked about that existed um, between the Rannets and the Burhalters. I don't want to go too deep into it because it just opens up all sorts of doors. And I think you and know, we don't, we don't really, know the full extent really of everything. But but there. but then you, you try to put that to the side for a second. And what what one person said to me was essentially like, you know, I don't know what player should feel like they have a say in what their playing time and role is going to be. And I think that, look, I I think that it's, I think that it's a normal thing. We saw similar things with Cristiano Ronaldo at the end of Portugal's run. Right. Now, Ronaldo's, you know, 
in his 30s is the greatest player of all time and has accomplished quite a bit more than Giorena at this point in second, his career. Maybe the second greatest player of all yeah. time. Well, he's the greatest. Yeah, player. Messi's the greatest player of all time. Um, and, you know, I think I would rank Maradona and Pele ahead of Ronaldo too. But, we're, you know, we're getting... Then why did you call I said him the one of the of greatest time. players of all time. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I missed Maybe that. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, who knows? My brain stopped working like, you know, Weeks a long ago. time ago. Um, Years ago? Thanks, Sam. Um, <laughs> no, I just think that frustrations are normal for players when they play, when they don't play. And, and I kept yeah, coming back to two different things. That, that stood out to me when I was reporting this or just kind of the context through which I viewed some of this, I guess, or like how I'm trying to contextualize it. There were two stories I reported ahead of the World Cup, Sam. The first one was about the, the, the human side of getting cut. And I think about, you know, players that, that went through that and got the call that they weren't going to be in Qatar, like Paul Ariola, who who publicly talked about the pain that he was feeling to not be in Qatar. And I think that Anyone who makes it to a World Cup has to keep that in mind as well. Like the people who didn't make it, and the you know the the accomplishment is getting there, and then there's kind of a the once you're there to like honor that, right? I think there's part part of that that sticks out to me. And the other thing that I thought was super relevant to this is, you know, I did a story on the tw- on glue guys, and I talked to Stu Holden for it. He was part of the 2010 World Cup. He was a starter in the Premier League. He had a major injury. He got back just in time to make the 2010 roster. And it's a different situation because he had just made it back in time to get fit enough to even make the team. So I think his expectations were to play, but he also had it in the back of his mind that he had been hurt and he wasn't sure. Well, he didn't play in the last scrimmage ahead of the World Cup, very similar here. And he said he got on the bus and was pouting and and kind of made sure his his coaches could see that he was mad that he didn't play that he had a really bad attitude had his headphones on wanted everyone on the bus to know that he was angry and by the time he got back to the team facility he was pouting around some more and and he ended up going to the hot tub and Carlos Bocanegra and a couple other teammates were there waiting for it, or they were there and he, he kind of loosened up once he got in the hot tub and he was his normal Stu Holden self that we see all the time and once that happened, Bocanegra said, hey, Stu, like, I'm glad that you got to this point because we were going to give you 30 more minutes to, to, to pout about the fact that you didn't play, and then we were going to wake you up and say, this isn't about you, this is about the group. And I'm glad that you got to that moment on your own, but like, we weren't going to let you go much longer without us st- stepping in and saying something about how you were acting. And I, I, I think that shows that, that these are scenarios that happen that people are upset with their roles at World Cups, that it's difficult to process those things. And I think it also shows that teammates play a role in trying to get people to wake up from those disappointments to try to focus on kind of the task at hand. And I don't think it's too dissimilar. Obviously, the timing of it was different, and I think the actions were different, but I think yeah, the concepts think, of them are, are similar. I think it's fair to say the concepts are the same, but I think it's fair to say that this one went above and beyond what what is yes. normal for this um and yeah that's why it got dealt with the way that it got dealt with so we'll see how giovanni reina responds hopefully he takes this and, and moves forward in a positive way at dortmund and with the national team um paul does this change how you view burhalter at all i think it i think it does a couple things in that regard i think it, it shows that he was dealing with a lot um in that giorana situation in the lead up to the Wales game and right after the Wales game that we didn't know about, I think, 
you know, I would say that the U.S. did well in the group despite all this stuff going on. So I think there's some credit to the team for that. And I and I would say to Berhalter for that. But I agree with you that I was surprised that um, that he said something about it in any sort of forum um, where people could could kind of walk away with that story. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it changes the way I feel about him coming back as a coach. I think there's a there. We wrote a long story about it. I would encourage people to go read. I think that my gut would be that they had been leaning towards keeping him. There's a lot of dynamics at play with that, including how much money the Federation has to spend, you know, what, what candidates they could find that would be interested in the job right now. I think that clearly in my mind, Burhalter has some work to do to try to mend the relationship with Gio Reyna if he is going to continue as the national team coach because Gio Reyna is 20 years old and he's going to be a big part of this team in in this upcoming cycle, or you would think that he would be. You would hope that, yeah. You would hope that as long as he continues on a similar trajectory and remains healthy, which I think are, are big. That second one is a bit of a big if. Um, yeah, to that point, Paul, I would encourage people to go read the story we did on Berhalter. Um, you know, I think it showed at the World Cup that tactically I think he did a decent job, especially in the group stage. In the knockout stage, you know, you can have your quibbles with that. We saw a team that was fatigued. Um, I think you can have some quibbles with personnel and, and people that he brought um, for for sure. But I think on the whole, he did he did a pretty solid job there. Management players spoke pretty highly of what he was able to do in terms of the culture within the group. I think we saw that you know <laughs> tested with the Reina situation for sure. But they were able to kind of push through that. I think is a is a mark in favor of the team environment. I don't know how much credit Berhalter should get or shouldn't get because, again, we weren't on the inside of that. But people that we've spoken to have been generally positive about him in that way. Um, and then for me, it's, you know, we spoke about this earlier, Paul, but it comes down to alternatives, what U.S. soccer wants, what Berhalter might want. Um, and I think we'll have clarity one way or another on Berhalter and his future probably within the next month, I would say, give or take a few days. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see which way this thing goes. I, I I'm certain that in some way the fact that this all went public um will have an impact. But I, I do think that you know I'm interested to see kind of the impact within the group as well, just because it's it's not new to them. It's new to everyone else, but it's not new to the group. Um and and you know, I think that as we've spelled out in the story, Sam, like this is a this is not like a clear cut job right now for the U S men's national team. Like there's a gold cup in 2023 and a nation's league, but there are no qualifiers. There's, you know, there are very few things between now and the world cup. So if you're, if you're aiming for like a high, high profile hire, and we did report that U S soccer has had interest in Pep Guardiola before in the past, you know, it might make sense that that type of hire doesn't happen until way closer to the World Cup. I mean, that would also be, there'd also be huge financial implications to waiting to hire a high-profile coach that comes with a high-profile price tag. So all of these things, I think, factor in to whether or not Greg Berhalter stays on, in addition to the fact that Greg Berhalter has a decision to make about whether he wants to stay on or, or, or try to find a job in Europe or elsewhere. So... um it's. I don't think it's a clear cut decision here, and I, I, I don't really have a good gut feeling on what's going to happen. Like, I, I, like, I think if you like made me make a decision, I would say that Greg Berhalter will be back. But I, I really could close my eyes and imagine things going both, you know, one way or the other. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I do think that if they come with a proper offer, I think Berhalter will take that and, and accept it. I don't think there are many jobs available to him right now, both for calendar reasons and for reasons that while some people view him as doing a, a solid enough job, nobody is like viewing him as having done an A-plus job at the World Cup and knocking it out of the park. So It's still hard for Americans to get jobs in Europe. Like Jesse's there, but it's not, yeah, it's not a normal thing either. You know, it's not like something to take yeah. for granted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Paul. Well, this is, uh, this is our final show of the year. So I think we can do a little bit of a more in-depth sign off this time. Maybe more, maybe less, less unhinged. Than <laughs> um, although who knows? We, we, never we say that and then it so just maybe gets it'll, there. Maybe it'll turn into something weird. Um, but you know, I think as I look back on, on 2022, it's been uh, an interesting year for sure. A lot of highlights. It's been difficult in many ways. Um, I know for, uh, you know, ways away from work, especially for you, Paul. Um, but as I look back, I'm just filled with, with gratitude and, uh, sincere thankfulness for everybody who supports our work and subscribes to the athletic and listens to this silly show and allows us to do this, um, because we do get to live a dream here in, in a pretty serious way. <laughs> and, uh, it wouldn't be possible if, if there weren't folks out there like yourself listening to this, um, who supported us. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for, yeah, engaging. Thank you for reading. Thank you for subscribing. Um, it, it does mean a lot to us. I think I can speak for Paul when I say neither of us take it for granted. And, and we'll be back in 2023 at some point. I don't know when I'm coming back from vacation yet. I haven't decided. I haven't told my editors that I haven't decided yet either, but you know, whatever we'll get the we'll cross that bridge when we get there <laughs> but until then happy holidays to everybody happy new year um and yeah hold your loved ones close um enjoy the time with them and don't take it for granted and, and paul what do you want to say yeah it's been a weird year in that um it's been one of the hardest years of my life um personally and one of the best years of my life professionally and um i i think that it's um i think it would be a lie to not say that like this podcast and my work with you sam specifically and with my friends and colleagues like outside of this podcast uh helped me get through some really hard times and um I think losing Grant, you know, at the end of this year has, has kind of brought this year back full circle to me in kind of what, um, what matters most. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I want to say like, um, that I'm really grateful for the experiences that we had. I'm really grateful for the time at the world cup. I don't take it for granted uh, and that I'm grateful for my relationships with you, with our, our friends uh, in the business that we also spent a lot of time with over these last few months, you know, and, um, and that I'm grateful for everyone who, who tagged along on this coverage, because like I said, it, it really did help me in some ways to process what I was going through personally and to give me something to focus on that would help me get through. So, um, 
let's hope that 2023 is less eventful in some ways, but that there's, you know, some, some way, somehow, some levels of, of professional fulfillment, um, that can match covering a world cup, which I think is a high bar to set, but you know, <laughs> we'll go for it. Yeah. Well, you know, Paul, thank you. That was very kind and right back at you, buddy. Um, you know, I think for 2023, my hopes and dreams are that we can have, uh, a 30 minute period where we had as much fun as we did recording those man's <laughs> um, and with that thank you for listening to allocation disorder i am sam he's paul happy holidays everybody